If I had 100K right now, what exactly would I invest in and how would I go about doing it? Well, in this video, I'm gonna share with you exactly what my thoughts look like if I had $100,000 to invest right now across different assets. If you're interested in what my thoughts are, then definitely keep watching. Hey guys, my name's Ravi and welcome back to Personal Finance with Ravi Sharma. If you're new here, smash that subscribe button because I talk about real estate, cryptocurrency and financial freedom. Now, financial freedom, of course, is definitely in line with your risk appetite. So some people will go on life and say, financial freedom to me is really just saving as much money as possible and then eventually paying off my house. Then I can retire at 65. Now, you're probably listening to that and saying, yeah, I don't think that's what financial freedom to me means. And usually what it means is, how do I go from requiring an active income to just relying on my passive income to live the lifestyle I want. Now, for a majority of us, we're gonna to have to continue working for the next 10, 15, 20 years if we haven't had the right plans implemented early on. So the earlier you start, the better it is. You might be someone that sits there with 100K or $10,000. The same rules apply. You need to have a plan and you need to execute. Now, at what level you can execute is different because of course you've got 100K versus 10K. You also have to take into consideration what your income looks like, how much are you saving and what your lifestyle expenses are. Now, anything I discuss in in this video is definitely not financial advice because a financial advisor will never tell you to invest in the things I'm about to tell you. Now that's not because these things are bad, it's just because they legally can't tell you about certain things. Now here on YouTube, I can talk about a bunch of things, but I can't give you financial advice because I have no idea what your situation looks like. But what I can talk to you about is a couple of things that you may wanna consider in terms of principles, understand why financial freedom is important and how you can go about doing it because there are more options out there than you actually know. The way that I'm gonna break this down is into four categories. So four different asset types and I'm going to break down exactly what I would look for in terms of that price point and why I would go about doing it in this priority as well. So starting off, number one is property. I would have to allocate a total of 75% in order to attain this property. Now what I'm looking at is a $400,000 house. I'm looking for a brick home ideally. I'm looking in an area which has good fundamentals, is starting to experience some of that growth but really hasn't gone through massive 30-40% growth over the last year or two. Now I live in Sydney and I definitely would not be looking in Sydney. I definitely wouldn't be looking at Melbourne. Now I do run a buyer's agency full time and that allows me a lot of insight into which markets are moving, which markets are declining and which markets are now primed for that next level of growth. So if you're interested in how a buyer's agent works and how they can help you, definitely go check out this video. I'm not going to talk about it here. That's about a 40 minute video that works through every step of the process and how you can actually benefit from it. So in this case, $400,000, I would need $75,000 to cover all of my expenses. Now that would include conveyancing fees, a deposit, stamp duty, a buyer's agent fee, along with a couple of other things that may pop up as well. But about 75,000 will do the trick. In order for me to actually buy a property, I need to have a borrowing capacity. So you might be watching this going, I have $75,000, but I can't actually borrow money, which means I can't go about doing this. And in this example, if I had 100K, I would ideally want to have a borrowing capacity. Otherwise, this doesn't make any sense. So I go ahead and I say, okay, I'm gonna buy a house as my first investment. And it's not gonna be a house I wanna live in. I wanna buy an investment property. And the reason I wanna do that is because I wanna target an area that has all the fundamentals for growth. I'm not buying just to live in there and say I can save on rent. I'm buying because I purely want a return. Plus I would never live where I'm actually buying. I would go and rent somewhere I like and that is in Sydney and that's again an area I wouldn't buy in. So 
If I'm going ahead and purchasing investment property with $75,000, I can then control an asset value of 400,000. So although I've only got 100K to start with, I've used my 75K to now control 400K. So if I get 10% growth here, that's gonna be an increase of $40,000, whereas a 10% increase on my 100K would just be $10,000. So that's just leverage returns. If that all made sense, smash that like button. Now, a major reason I still build it in this way, even today, starting out in property is because I know how it works. I've been doing this for 10 years, I run a buyer's agency, meaning I do it 24 seven. And on top of all of that, I wanna go into an asset class that has a proven history. I wanna know there's a long track record of good solid growth. And I don't need 50 to 60% annualized growth every single year, because the truth is if you're getting that, you're in a volatile asset, which again, doesn't give you sleep at night factor. So for me, I would go and build out my portfolio with property first. And if you were thinking about it like a pyramid, the strongest part would be the bottom, which is the structure. And I would want the structure to be built on something like real estate here in Australia. So out of the 100K, 75 is allocated now to property. Now, the next thing I'm gonna do is actually put an emergency fund attached to that property. So it's gonna sit there in an offset account and that I would allocate is about $10,000. Now, something to keep in mind is, yes, I've got 100K in this example, hypothetically 100K and that's it. But in reality, what I'm gonna have is my active income where I'm gonna save money every single month, which means I can contribute towards more of an emergency fund. As well as that, I can go in dollar cost average into other assets. So in this case, although I'm talking about just a one-off investment of 100K, just keep in mind that when you buy something, you would go, well, I'm still working and I'm still saving a portion of that. So that might just add to my emergency fund or I go and invest in other things. So a $10,000 emergency buffer here would mean another 10% is gone, which means the total of 85% of my 100K is already used. And that's all allocated pretty much to property and some cash savings. Now you might be wondering with $15,000, what exactly can you buy, which is gonna make a notable difference to your overall portfolio? And there's a couple of things that I obviously invest in that you might not invest in or you might think is a joke at this point. Next up is Pokemon cards. Yes, collectibles is actually a real thing. And before you heard it on this channel, you were like, I don't think it makes sense. And you might still be watching this after like two years and going, this guy makes no goddamn sense. He says something so logical like property and good fundamentals. And then he says, I buy collectibles like Pokemon cards. But the truth is the data doesn't lie. It's not me making an opinion saying, oh, I think Pokemon cards are great. Yeah, I also thought Dragon Ball cards were great and they haven't been performing so well. But over the long term, when it comes to Pokemon cards, they're unique in the fact that they're one of the biggest IPs in the world. And collectibles isn't just about Pokemon cards. Collectibles go beyond that. People collect artworks. They collect collect alcohol, they collect handbags, you name it, they will collect it. In fact, I've seen people go and save their first iPhone that they bought. They kept it sealed and they sold it like 10 years later for a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So yes, it's an absolutely weird world. And sometimes in collectibles, nostalgia is the biggest play. Emotions are what trigger people to purchase something at that price. There's not a lot of fundamental analysis you can do, but that's where there's a bit of fun with it. There's a bit of speculation, but what was really interesting is with Pokemon cards, every single product within three years goes green. Now, what I mean by that is, you could go ahead and purchase a sealed boost box or sealed pack and say, okay, I'm gonna hold this, I'm not gonna open it and I've bought it now. And in three years, every single product like that has now recorded a profit. And that's phenomenal given the fact that this record has been around since 1999. Now, if you look back at those products, I mean, it's silly now to think that we were opening up packs and taking them to school. And these packs back then were like $3, but now cost about $300 to $400, which is absolutely absurd. But now, even today, you can find Pokemon 
cards that you bought say 10 years ago or even five years ago, and they would be substantially higher, almost 300 to 500% higher. And I'm talking about conservative numbers. In some cases, if the product is actually really in demand and it's actually a good set, then the prices could increase a lot higher and a lot faster than other sets that don't actually have as much demand. So that's another $10,000 going towards Pokemon cards, which means I only have 5% left of my total 100K. And that 5% will go into Bitcoin. So for me personally, I invest in these three pillars of property, cryptocurrency, and Pokemon cards slash collectibles. To me, this makes the most sense. The reason being is I've got a majority of my wealth in something safe, like Australian real estate. I understand it. I do it day in, day out. Then I have a smaller portion of my portfolio in something speculative and volatile, but with that risk comes the return. And if I'm positioned well enough, I then have a sleep at night factor where the majority of my wealth is just ticking over slowly. And then I'm faster with my hands, with things that I can trade. If I've got collectibles and I've picked the right product, which can go up by 50 or 60% in a year, I can then trade that out for more products in that space, or I can start bringing that money across, have my emergency buffer increase, or I could use that money and go and renovate some of my properties. Again, this really comes down to your own strategy of how involved you wanna be and what sort of risk appetite you actually have. If you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, I don't know what Pokemon cards are or I'm never gonna invest in Bitcoin. That just means you're not down that risk curve and that's okay. You might just stick to other things like ETFs, shares. You might stick to things like saving your cash in the bank and getting some interest on it or going into something like property. It just comes down to self-awareness. If you're going into this thinking, oh, I'm gonna go in and suddenly I'm gonna retire in like two years. It's probably the wrong way to approach it because making mistakes is part of this process. So the reason I would go 5K into Bitcoin and nothing else is because we're in a part of the cycle where a lot of the altcoins will basically lose their value and they may never recover to all-time highs again. What we've seen recently is the SEC come out and say a bunch of these altcoins are actually securities and that started seeing a dramatic drop in those prices. But every cycle is pretty much the same. And when we go back to looking at 2019, which is the pre-halving year of the four-year Bitcoin cycle, you can see why Bitcoin will outperform altcoins in the short term. And then when we have speculative plays come in later, you have a lot of retail money coming in. Bitcoin's already made its move and then a lot of money flows into the altcoins at that point. So if I was investing now, I would be looking at data from 2019 to say, this is gonna give me the best idea possible of what could happen in 2023, given the halving was in 2020 and the next halving is in 2024. So again, four year cycle is sort of a rinse and repeat. Now, if we were to zoom out and say, okay, let's do this for the next two years, where exactly would I end up with the total value of this asset portfolio? So again, we're using hypothetical numbers here. Could my numbers outperform? Could these numbers be completely wrong? Yes, but hey, we're here for the fun of it. We're here to feed the YouTube algorithm. And again, it's pretty entertaining, so why not? So the 400K property at an average growth rate of 7% would now be worth 457,000. And that would mean $57,000 worth of growth. That equity is sitting there. If I have the borrowing capacity, I could use that money as a deposit for my next investment, or I could use that money, renovate my property, increase my value and increase my rents. Now I've got the positive cash flow, and I've manufactured equity in my property by renovating it. Next up is the $10,000 in cards and an annual growth rate of about 20%. Now this is a really conservative number just based on my own portfolio of what I've bought. But if you go with a 20% growth rate, that would mean a $4,400 growth in two years time. And then the 5K Bitcoin would go up to $16,000. Now, if you wanted to figure out how I got to that number, I would look at June, 2019, because that's pretty much where we're at now, except four years later. And then we're looking at the blow off top, which comes two years after the pre-halving year. So about a year after the halving cycle. So in that year, which was November, 2021, Bitcoin reached 
reached a price of about $65,000. So in June, 2019, it was roughly $10,000. It went to a peak of about $65,000. So that would be a 6.5X multiplier. However, we also know law of diminishing returns applies to this because as the asset class matures, it gets bigger. It takes more money to have price movements. So I just took a 3.25X multiplier and that would mean that my $5,000 would be worth $16,000 in two years time. And that would mean $11,000 worth of growth. So the total would be that 100K invested in this market today would allow me to walk away with about 62,400, which is about 62.4% return on investment cash on cash. And if I was to annualize that, that would work out to be about 31.2% cash on cash return. And that to me is phenomenal. When I know that I can go to the bank and say, well, I'm gonna get about 5% cash on cash return. But I know a lot of these numbers are hypothetical. We also know that some properties could go up, some properties could go down. It's not a matter of just picking anything. Every market is different. And the main thing to take away from this video is that you might for the first time hear about someone trying to invest in these sort of things, whereas all you've heard from everyone else is dollar cost average into certain assets. And then you think that's the only way possible for it to work out. The reason I rely on these three pillars is because I've been doing it for years. I understand how it works. And for me, I'm comfortable with the risk appetite as well as that percentage in my portfolio representing that asset class. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this video. If you're interested in more content like this, definitely let me know in the comments down below. Subscribe if you haven't already and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Thanks guys.